This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Nick McLean, thanks very much for coming back on Talk Your Book. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come back on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. Good to be back on. Now, I thought before we get into uh, to which stock you want to talk about, I thought it would be a good place to start with Surrey Asset Management and how you guys have gone this year. Yeah, so um, it's been an interesting 12 months, 24 months really, um, in terms of volatility in the market, but we've, we've done really well. Our returns are well in excess of, of the benchmark and um, positive in an absolute sense and also very positive in a relative sense after all fees. So clients should be happy, um, but it has been a, a volatile ride, that's, that's for sure. Um, fortunately for us, we've got a very rigid process in place. Um, which is focused on risk-adjusted returns as, as opposed to some of the razzle-dazzle type returns. Um, so the consistency is, has been good in the context of what we're going through or what we've been through over, um, over the last two years. I think from a market perspective overall, it's really interesting that um, you know, if we had have spoken in February and you had have told me how, what, what was coming in terms of um, corona, I'm not sure we would have all been so bullish, but the market... With the, um, with the stimulus packages coming in and interest rates so low is really, really powered on. So that's encouraging. I just want you to know that the Judd Family Trust is generally chasing those razzle-dazzle returns, often with, uh, <laughs> with unsuccessful outcomes. <laughs> with, with, with that in mind, what stock do you want to talk about today? Today, I thought we'd talk about um, PointsBet, um, which can tie into betmakers if you wanted to talk about that. But PointsBet is, is the, main, the main focus. It's a large holding, a top five holding, um, for the Surrey Fund and has been since, um, since it IPO'd uh, at $2 a share, I think it was $2 a share from memory. Um, it's been up as high as 14 um, back in March or April, it went back down to in the dollar range and now it's back trading around 11, 11 odd dollars. So, um, well, I did talk about risk adjusted returns. What we try to look at is not so much share price uh, volatility. We don't see that as risk. It's more the um, projection and the underlying um, cash flow growth coming out of our individual businesses and, and points, but it's been ticking all the boxes since, since day one. It's quite incredible during that March crisis when I think it got down to an EV of about 20 million bucks, um, yes, which was right. just, uh, you scratch your head when you didn't buy some, Nick, as, uh, no, as, I, as I didn't. Fortunately, we did buy it. Buy that's it right. so, that's, <laughs> that in. so that's, that's a good, good outcome. So talk to me about PointsBet and explain to the viewers um, what their business model is and, and how they go about operating their business. Yeah, so PointsBet is an online um, corporate bookmaker um, in much the same sense as a sports bet is, um, Bet365. They were, they, were, they were a more recent entrant into the market. Um, they're led by Sam Swanell, who was the um, one of the leaders at TomWaterhouse.com, who I'm sure you're, you're, um, your viewers know. Uh, they set up call it five, five or so years ago, with the intention of going into the US market as that US market uh, opens up. Before they, before they launched in there, they've set up in Australia. Um, they've grown from an absolute standing start base to now about four, four odd percent market share of a call it 40, $40 billion total turnover market in Australia. Uh, and they're now profitable. So a strategy for them is to move to profits, EBITDA profits within three years of each region they operate in. So it's quite an outstanding effort for them to grow to that type of market share in Australia, um, while also becoming profitable 
But in saying that, Chris, the main objective for these guys is to develop a system, an end-to-end IT system, so they completely own all their, their technology stack, um, build a brand, test various various offerings like their spread bet offering or various um, sports stars or whatnot and who, who markets well, um, see what works and then take that over into the US um, where they've started in New Jersey. So while they're profitable in Australia and, and that's a great business, the main game has always been that, that US market, which is, which is opening up quite significantly. So you mentioned their share of the Australian market's about that four or five percent. What mm-hmm. sort of percent do you think they could get from that Australian market yeah. over the next, say, three to five year period? Yeah, so Australia is quite a mature market. Um, um, the big players have been around for a long time. Um, but given the biggest player, Tabcorp, seems to be tripping over themselves quite a bit lately, as you might have seen on Stakes Day, mm. we were betting the, um, the Judd family <laughs> on Stakes Day there, um, their, uh, their systems completely collapsed. Um, and so they were offline for pretty much the whole day, which is just fantastic for these other corporate bookies in terms of taking market share. Um, so they're winning a lot of share from, from mainly from Tabcorp as people move away from retail to online. I don't expect them to really dramatically grow to 15, 20% in Australia, mainly because I think their focus will be very much on on the US, the US market. So when I run my numbers, I have it coming up towards the high single digits. Um, because you have some big competitors here, um, like your Flutter, which owns Sportsbet, um, th- those other type of guys that are well established. Um, so we, we'd expect them to get to an EBITDA run rate of, call it 30, 30 odd mil over the next few years, 30 to 40 mil, which is, like I said, it's a fantastic effort and it puts some of the others to shame in terms of how well they've, they've grown. And so you mentioned Tab there and some of the, the technical issues they had on, on yes. stakes day, but they've also had a lot of their outlets closed. Uh, throughout this yes. year with the lockdowns across Australia, but particularly in Victoria. It's been yes. a big tailwind for, for a company like PointsBet. How do you view that going forward? Do you view that as a, a secular structural change where people will bet less in those TAB retail outlets or do you view it as more of a one-off event and people's behaviour will flock back to those uh, venues once they're open? Yep, so I, I think it's absolutely secular and it's been secular since prior to, to COVID, but like you mentioned, it, it dramatically accelerated. So all the corporate bookies really took a lot of share um, as people weren't going to the pubs as much um, uh, and obviously couldn't go to the local, the local TABs. Um, they're gradually reopening those, those, those outlets. And I think as people come back to the pubs, um, there'll still be an element of retail, people who like cash in their actual hand, um, as opposed to on the... On the um, on the app or on, on the card, but it is absolutely um, a structural shift, and I think you'll just see those retail tabs over sort of the ten year journey become historic, um, just antiquated, and people won't use them at all anymore. Um, so Tabcorp have a very very big issue there, particularly another element. A lot of those retail stores, um, retail outlets uh, take um, betting on the tote, so tote type mm. betting. Um, younger, younger people just don't, and when I say younger, I really mean anyone under the age of sort of 45, 46, they just don't really go for the tote anymore. They want fixed price, um, which makes that retail offering even less attractive. Um, if you're sitting, for example, Chris in the pub and, um, having a beer with your mates and you're having, having a bet, do you really want to have to get up and go to someone and give them your ticket and Mm. you just do it on your phone? Um, I just think that that game has changed completely and it's all, it's all moving online. So that's been great. Corona has really accelerated that shift, absolutely, in Australia. Um, but it, it is here to stay. Um, it is here to stay. 
And so that's been one of the big tailwinds they've been able to enjoy this year. The other one seems to be their increased marketing spend, which has proved efficacious. What have they done marketing-wise and what sort of things are you looking to them do yeah. in the next 12 months in that area? Yeah, so something they did that's quite unique, if you like, is what's called um, spread betting. Um, and I'll, I'll let your viewers go on to that. It, it's, it's not a huge money spinner for them, but it just gives them a little bit of an edge where people say, well, I'd like to have a look at what that actually is. Um, it, it's effectively just a way of playing the line, line betting, but they call it spread betting. That gets people on as a way of interest, and then they attract them through your, your typical things like bonus bets and whatnot. Um, in terms of uh, local sponsorships, they sponsor the AFL. Um, they've got Alan Iverson from the US uh, as their key, key guy here. Uh, interestingly, NBA is the biggest sports um, betting area in Australia, so out, out, outside racing. And that's been proven to be very, very successful. They seem to be extremely efficient at their marketing spend, which would, which would explain how they're now profitable in Australia um, over three years. And so do you view that marketing program as something that you can scale up when you move to overseas markets? Or do you think it's not as transferable as some people believe, whereby what works in Australia won't necessarily work in America? How are you viewing that? It's a good question, and time will time will tell. Um, so far, so good in New Jersey, which is their first market they've opened up in, and also Illinois. New Jersey, New Jersey, they've moved to six and a half, seven percent market share, which is again a great effort for a brand that nobody knew mm. who it was in the, in in the, in the US. But they they will, they, and we can get onto this um, in a minute. But they have taken a slightly different tact in the US in terms of teaming up with NBC to sign a very big overall media media deal, which is which is the way it works in both um, the UK, Europe and, and, and in the US. So I think they'll take a slightly different bent, but still much of the same. The great, the great thing about these guys is, this, is the spend can be turned off and on mm. very, very quickly, as, as we saw with COVID. If something's not working, they can switch it to something else. Do bonus bets work? If not, is it Iverson that works or what, what, what might it be? Um, so it's working for them so far in, in the US, but I also think we'll have to look at it state by state as they roll out. The US is pretty much a group of 50 individual markets as opposed to one big giant market. That's a good segue. So maybe give us the helicopter view of the US market, how it differs across the country and what you see that overall market could be worth again. Let's call it a, a three to five year, year period. Yep, so if I talk about um, sort of your net win, um, net win revenue, so the revenue that they, they could capture. Uh, they're currently um, operational, or not operational, but they've got licensing agreements in 12-odd um, states in the US. Is and it legal in every state, so, sports gambling? No. So of those states, the 12, they've got licensing agreements, so they're good to go as soon yeah. as the individual governors say, yes, you, you, you're good to go. So at the moment, two that are prominent, very prominent, is New Jersey, which is up and running and live, and mm -hmm. Illinois, so Chicago, Illinois, which is up, up and running live. Um, the other states will start rolling out gradually. Um, so that's why I like to think about it as a state-by-state -state situation as opposed to just all of America. In those states that they're currently licensed in, the, the, um, the, the, re the, the revenue number that they could capture is around, I think it's around six to six and a half, seven bill in, in revenue. So that, that's the pool. Um, that they're, they're targeting to get 10% of each one of those markets. Um, but then as the country opens up, you're talking about a revenue pool, again, I think to be well in excess of 50 bill, um, well in excess of $50 billion um, that they're chasing. And that's just on the sports betting. And, and when I say that, I include racing 
that's just for that, then they've also developed an offering uh, or they're developing an offering um, for gaming. So um, like your online roulette or poker or whatever it might be. And that's a whole new level altogether um, that hasn't been included in those numbers that I just mentioned. It's just a dream way to scale up a business almost, isn't it? You've got yeah. the test case in Australia that's already bringing in some positive cash flow. Yeah. Then to be able to roll that out, the fact that it's one state at a time almost de-risks it to a certain extent. Yeah. They can, you know, what's going to work in New Jersey, you would expect will work in Illinois, even if yes. it hasn't been a complete crossover with Australia. Yes. Um, yeah. And such an enormous market potential and yeah. a growing market. Yeah. There's not a lot of opportunities listed on the ASX that have those sorts of characteristics. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked last time I was on, we talked about um, zero and that they've sort of conceptually got something similar in terms of rolling out region, mm. region by region. But yes, I, I get what you're saying. And also that we shouldn't underestimate the Australian market isn't just there to um, prove out the marketing offering or de deliver EBITDA. It's very much there to prove out the tech stack and to make mm. sure it works because you don't want to do a tab corp and launch on say Super Bowl day or, or have be running on Super Bowl day and your whole platform crashes. It's very hard um, to come back from that. So if I'd sort of, without bagging Tabcorp too much, I talked about it being a $10 million hit to EBITDA, but I think the hit to the reputation um, and the gravitation of, of, of punters onto other platforms um, will be huge. So it's very important that, that, um, that PointSpec got that, has got that tech stack right and running. Uh, and it's also important they own it all themselves. They're not beholden to anyone else. They do use Betmakers, um, which is another listed company, to provide certain informational feed into their into their um, into their tech platform. But it is very much owned by themselves. <laughs> so talking about group numbers, we, we've spoken yes. a little bit about Australia and US. Talking about group numbers, about what their total revenue is now, maybe what their revenue growth is, and yeah. what their loss is uh, up to date. Yeah. So without without wanting to scare to scare people, we're expecting them to do. Uh, revenue, so revenue of around 160 odd million in, in 21. This yep. is across across the group, um, and that should be growing up to sort of two 250, 400, 500, and, and onwards and upwards. Um, the actual EBITDA line within that will depend very much on on how quickly states open up for them. Um, they're not focused on earn profitability at the moment, um, except for I'll, I'll caveat that by saying the way they look at it is state by state. So hmm. we're open in Australia, we're profitable within three years. We've opened in New Jersey, call it a year or so ago, we want to be profitable within two years. We've opened, just opened in Illinois, we want to be profitable within three years. And that's how they look at it state by state. So if all the states would open in the next three months, the losses will be big as they sink marketing dollars in to grow their share. So I'm projecting EBITDA losses on a group level of anywhere up to 100 odd million. In saying that, they do have 450 million cash in the bank, net cash in the bank and no debt. So they've got ample money to run out the next, you know, to, to grow over the next uh, next two to three years. Um, but much like, again, I'll bring it back to last time I was on with you, we talked about um, the, way, the way Surrey looked at Amazon and the way we looked at zero. Um, if I looked at it on the group level, I'd say, you know, boy, that's, that's, that's a bit rich. But when you look at it on that state-by-state state level and their strategy and it's working, that they're, they're delivering, um, I, I think by the time we get to a sort of more mature state, if you like, of say 2025, um, they'll be an extremely profitable business at a group level. Um, so that's the way we try to do it. Break it out, measure them. So we always have a roadmap to value realisation, to our, our value targets, and we map out each state 
deliver a value for each state and see how they're going along along the journey. And is it a bespoke forecast that the, the company is using for each state or is it basically three years in a territory they expect to be profitable? That's right. That, that, so that's, they say that within their strategy is three years within any, ter- any territory they, they open in, they want to be EBITDA, at least EBITDA break even. And so each state that opens up in the US, it's got elements of a, a land grab, if you like, yes. all, the, all the different betting companies. Yep. Whenever a new state opens up, they're going to be trying to grab as much land as they can as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Are there small local bolt-on acquisitions they can buy in some of those states that give them a, a capital acquisition pool that could be useful, whether that's in, you know, it won't be gambling necessarily, but it could be almost like a super coach type business in Australia to use yeah. those customers as potential pools or will it just be through marketing initiatives that they, yeah. they get their customers from? So in terms of what you said, the, um, the, the fan jewels really, fan, fan jewels of the world really uh, and flutters of the world really control um, that market. That's sort of... Well, they're a customer acquisition pool, aren't they? For sports gambling, people that are already playing sort of non-monetary the, the, type the, gambling yeah. games. So that fantasy type market they won't be going into that because it's a you know it's already been taken that that market's really been taken in terms of small bolt-on acquisitions i don't think so because it really is a land grab and nobody has the land in these these new states yet um i actually think it's probably the reverse these guys will continue to build up um uh uh, users keep building up those users build up the revenue build up the profitability and someone will come along and take them out in exactly the same way that happened in australia and the uk where you have in Australia, sort of 10 years ago, you had a, a plethora of, um, of bookies and that's now really consolidated down uh, into a few big major bookies. And I think the same thing will happen in the US. I'm cognizant of the fact though, within that uh, NBC does have the option to take up to 20% um, of the points bet business through the deal it's done, um, through the marketing deal it's done, that's done with them. So no, I don't think they'll make um, bolt-on acquisitions. I just think it will be growth organically through marketing. Um, and also through signing new licensing deals. So you need a license and then you need regulatory approval. So I think you'll see more licensing deals be done, um, but I, I don't think there's any need for acquisitions. And when would they potentially, would PointsBet themselves become a potentially attractive acquisition target? I guess they'd want to roll out a lot more states in the US before they'd even think about selling. What sort of time frame could you see a potential transaction occurring? I, I think so. A lot will depend on NBC given they have basically 20% um, through their option agreement. Um, I, I think over the next three years, um, three to four years, th- these companies, let, let's say it's a, a flutter. It's one of the biggest biggest guys out there at the moment. Let's say they look to buy a points bet hypothetically. They're not looking to buy the earnings. They're looking to buy the customer base and the mm. revenue base and they cut out all, all the costs and transplant it into their business. So I think we'll, we'll see. If they, if they start getting to 10% market shares across the states they open in, then I think they will be taken out absolutely over the next three, three plus years. Um, I think that's, it's, it, it, nothing's a given, but if you look at what happened in, in Europe and in, and in Australia, that, that's exactly the way it played out. Land grab, but these guys are focused still on profitability, land grab and then consolidation. And when you look at a competitive advantage or an economic moat for these types of companies, in a large sense, it's a commoditized product. You're getting odds on a gambling um, on, on a sporting event. Yeah. But I, am I right in saying it's really marketing the tech stack and then having the licenses? Are they the three things for investors to get their head around that, that build a, a, 
an economic moat, if you like, compared yeah. to other entrants in this market? Yeah, absolutely. And then I'd, I'd add in there um, good odds, having, having good odds. Yeah. Uh, if I, so this is all new to, to the Americans in terms of online um, sports betting. They're, just, they're not used to it. Um, but what you'll see happen, I think, which is what, what's happened here, is most people will have two, three, two to three accounts and they'll just flip through those to work out which one has got the best odds. Although, although I go to the Tom Waterhouse um, website that he's, he's built out and they'll look for best bets. And, and, and so the odds are very important. Um, but to start with, it's, it's, exact, it's, it's exactly what you said, um, as well as having good odds. Well, sounds like a good story. I'll continue to get up each morning and look myself in the mirror and remind myself how stupid I was for not buying a $20 million EV when it was $1.20. But um, I hope it's a big win for you and I look forward to following the story. Yeah, great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks very much. Thanks, This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.